Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. on the other end. Sarah, how are we doing today, buddy? Doing well, man. Doing really well. Trying to watch Josh Rosen tear it up while uh, while we're on here. And uh, my stupid NFL Game Pass just continually keeps asking me to activate. You know you know how frustrating that is? Mm-hmm. It's the worst. So, But you're not going to get any of that kind of crap on, uh, on the NFL Mocks podcast. We're not going to ask you to activate anything. You just get to dive in with us. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, no premium content here. We're not going to charge you for any extra info, like the exact number of concussions Jordan Reed has uh, in his NFL career. We're not going to charge you for that kind of information because we here at the NFL Mocks Podcast believe that you should get it for free, and that's what we like to provide for you guys, some type of service, a reason for you to return to this beautiful and wonderful podcast other than just hanging out with me and Sarah talking a little bit of ball but man we got a great show from you guys tonight we're just going to kind of bounce around the league news uh we got a couple of hot takes developed for you uh from you know a couple of things and hot topics around the league so sarah i guess we can just leave it up to you man where do you want to start tonight and uh do you want to start with some of these preseason games hell do you want to start with josh rosen what do you want to start with tonight on the nfl mox podcast man your show your helm or your, your ropes, your ropes. <laughs> Man, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I've been blocked out of watching whatever Josh Rosen is doing. He just took over for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I was alerted to that on Twitter. So uh, for those watching Josh Rosen live in real time, you're going to get to see it before I am. But, man, I'm I'm really interested by something, and I think this is something that gets underrated or doesn't get talked about quite enough just because I don't think a lot of people are really aware of it. And – Brace yourself because we've had some hot buns in the oven, some hot takes in the oven for uh, for quite some time here. But I've written about this a couple of times through the years at NFLMocks.com, and I wrote about something today, a little changing of the tide. But are you ready? Are you ready to hear this? The hottest of all takes. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm buckled in. I told you you needed to to give me some forewarning last time so I could put my seatbelt yeah. on. But uh, let, let's hear it, man. What do you got? Yeah, buckle in, buckle in, because I'm about to drop a little fact on you right now. The New England Patriots don't and haven't drafted well in the last few years. Um, and I think that that would surprise a lot of people to find out because the Patriots are just constantly – uh, they're constantly competitive. They're constantly in the thick of things. Come time for January and February football, you can pretty much put in pen that the New England Patriots are going to be there. But I want to look back. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to find out how far back I want to go here. Okay, I want to go back to 2011. We'll start. Well, no, we'll start at 2010. This is every top draft choice since 2010 yeah, for the New I'm, England I'm Patriots. I'm looking at them right now. Let's 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 pick through them as well. All right. Yeah, Devin McCourty, good, very good player. Very good player. Yeah. That's 2010. 2011, Nate Solder. He's an okay player. Very highly paid player, now employed by the New York Giants, but definitely served his purpose with the New England Patriots, helped him win, win some Super Bowls there. Chandler Jones, another guy who served his purpose in New England but was traded to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and then Dante Hightower was a first-round pick that year as well. Uh, this that's 2012, 2013, Jamie Collins, who is now on his second stint with the Patriots, had a couple really good years and then kind of fell off the map. 2014, Dominique Easley. I don't know if he's still in the league. 2015, Malcolm Brown. I know he's no longer with the Patriots. I believe he is with the New Orleans Saints. 2016, yes, top pick was Cyrus Jones. 2017, out yep, out of Alabama. 2017, they didn't have a, a top pick until the third round, but it was Derek Rivers, a defensive end who I don't think he's, I don't think he's playing for them, or at least he's not playing a significant role. And then 2017 or 2018, excuse me, you got Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle. Obviously, Sony looked pretty darn good down the stretch last season, but there's some injury concerns there with both of those guys, and you know them as well as anybody. But my, I, I point all these guys out to say that New England hasn't been great at drafting. And even if you go down through their second-round picks, I mean, you got guys like Aaron Dobson through the years, uh, Tavon Wilson, Razai Dowling. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Jordan, Jordan Richards. Richards. Yeah, jo- I mean, all these guys, their they're day one and day two selections haven't been very good. And Bill Belichick doesn't really catch much flack for that because the Patriots just continue to win games. But... I think that's such a fascinating discussion to look at how their roster is constructed and to point out that this is not all hatred for the Patriots, to point out how they supplement that poor drafting and also to point out the fact that their 2019 rookie class, despite having the the last pick or close to the last pick in pretty much every round, is one of the best draft classes in the entire NFL. And these, I mean, I don't know how they've how they've done it, but I, they managed to hit on a player in pretty much every round of the draft and undrafted free agency. So, Brooks, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, as a you know, what's the what's the glue as a former football player? Uh, what's the glue that holds this all together for the New England Patriots? What's everything? What's what's the catalyst behind all this? Obviously, Tom Brady's uh, an all-time great. Bill Belichick, an all-time great. But how do they just continue to rotate in and out all these guys and, and still have a successful product on the field? All right, so I'm currently reading the New York Times bestseller, uh, The Education of a Coach by David Halber- Halberstam. Uh, it's, a, it's a book about 
the Belichick family, that being Bill and his dad, Steve Belichick. And dating back all the way uh, to Steve Belichick's first job, you know, first major job with Army back in the late 1950s and early 60s, the most important thing to a football player playing for a Belichick, whether that be Steve back at Army or Navy and uh, now Bill, is the fact that they're always looking for smart football players. That's the very first thing. And then guys who, uh, you know, are necessarily, you know, team-oriented first, individuals second. So as hard as that could possibly be uh, at the NFL level, especially with nowadays the, the stardom that comes with being an NFL football player, that is the very first thing, you know, New England Patriots look for when they're looking for players. So they want you to be smart first in hopes that you'll eventually – you know, be able to pick up their system because the number one thing that the New England Patriots do as a defense now, because the Belichicks are a defensive-oriented family, that's where they made their, uh, you know, money, if you will. That's where they buttered their bread. Um, To play defense there, you've got to be able to play multiple schemes. So it, it has a lot to do with Bill Belichick's ability to coach players once he gets them in the building. Now, that doesn't really answer for why he's missing on as many draft picks as he possibly does. Now, a lot of it has to be to do with the fact that it's kind of a 50-50 based business, right, Sarah? I mean, now, however many cracks you take at drafting guys, you're still going to miss on a lot of guys. Even Belichick's going to miss on a lot of guys. But most of it has to do with the intellect of the player. He always wants a smart football player first. And then secondly, he wants a football player that is more important of team success uh, outside of individual success. And I know that sounds pretty cookie-cutter and, and dry uh, there for that organization, but that's just what the history shows you for the New England Patriots. So, I mean, that's kind of a little intel on how and why he does what he does there. But, um, you know, a lot of off-the-wall stuff. If you go back and look at these draft picks, it's a lot of offensive tackles. It's a lot of defensive backs always taking a stab at a quarterback in late rounds. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of consistency, but there's also a bit of randomness uh, to mm-hmm. Bill Belichick's drafting strategy. So that's kind of my two cents on it. What do you think about all that, yeah. there, sir? Did I answer your question? I'd say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that helps make a lot of sense of it, too, because when you talk about these guys who are, first off, smart players, second off, they're team players, you look at look look down the line of their starting lineup there in New England. Julian Edelman at the wide receiver position. He's been there since 2009, and he was a draft pick of theirs. On their offensive line, you got from left to right Isaiah Wynn, first round pick. Obviously, he's a new guy in town. Joe Thune or Tune or however you say that last name, 2016 third round pick. So he's coming up on a second deal. David Andrews just resigned. He's been there since 2015. Shaq Mason been there since 2015 Marcus Cannon been there since 2011 um Tom Brady obviously been there since 2000 James White been there since 2014 defensively you got guys who have been there since 2012 2013 2010 I mean these guys they have a core of players who have been there for a long time Uh, even Goskowski the kicker been there since 06 so I mean the the Patriots have found a lot of guys who really could give a crap what they get paid and care way more about winning games. And I think that that's so rare in today's NFL. It's not that it's not that the players don't care about winning per se. It's, it's that they, they want to get their cake and eat it too. You know, they want to get that, that 
money bag as soon as as they can. And a lot of times, teams just aren't in a position to be able to shell out cash to all their good players. But the Patriots have found so many guys who really just don't care. I mean, Tom Brady's a prime example of it. Like he just he doesn't care what they pay him. They pay him a fair you know, a fair price. I mean, he's way undervalued in terms of his overall contract, but they pay him a fair price for, for what he does. And he just likes to win. He prefers winning to being the highest paid guy in the league. And I, that's, that's something that I respect and appreciate about the Patriots. I mean, you know, they haven't always gone about things, you know, taking the moral high road. But, I mean, the, a lot of these guys have done it the right way in terms of being team first players. And I love that from them. And I think that that's what's made them so successful. But, man, you look at what they've done in terms of the way they bring guys in. I, I don't know that there's another team in the NFL that has as many players in their starting lineup via trade as do the New England Patriots. And that's that could be said on an annual basis. I mean, they they treat draft currency in such a different way than most other teams do, which I find fascinating. Like there was a there was a rumor out there today that they offered a first round pick for Trent Williams. And I don't I know it uh somebody said that it was a false rumor and that there was zero zero legs to it whatsoever but at the same time like that does sound like something the Patriots would do because it's just a why wouldn't you throw a first round pick at that I mean like first round picks are basically inconsequential to this team obviously over the last 10 years you know they've hit on barely half their first round picks and they there's been a couple years where they've had even multiple first rounders and so like why wouldn't you trade a first round pick for a proven player I know we've talked about that way in the past but I mean with the Odell Beckham when that trade happened but man the Patriots just they do such an interesting they have such an interesting strategy year to year and they bring in guys like you know Josh Gordon like at the trade deadline when his value has hit rock bottom you bring in a guy like Josh Gordon and you know he helps you win a couple games that get you higher in the standings and higher in the playoff seating and then all of a sudden you know you've got home games because Josh Gordon helped you win a couple regular season games and I'm I just it doesn't work for everyone but it seems to work so well for the Patriots yeah one little side story here for you Sarah I got a buddy of mine that played and grew up with Hunter Henry uh, he's originally here from Cobb County in Georgia, obviously played tight end there at Arkansas and was, you know, a, set, a, a first pick in the second round, I believe, in the 2016 draft. And just kind of an anecdote of why maybe New England's as good as they are at, you know, bringing in veteran free agents and bringing in undrafted free agents and things like this. The reason they're so good, Sarah, is because – they do research on almost every guy that's available for the league uh, at all times, right? And, and here's a little anecdote for you. So Hunter Henry's going through the draft process, right? And he's at the NFL Combine, and he gets a request from the New England Patriots to sit down and have an interview with him. And the first thing Bill Belichick tells Hunter Henry is, uh, you know, and maybe this is a little confidential information. I won't tell you who revealed it. But, you know, Hunter Henry said, Belichick set him down and he said, you know, Hunter, we love your game. We love what you're doing. Uh, we think you're going to be a really great player here in the NFL. But this is a 2016 draft, and we're not going to be high enough in the draft in the pecking order because our first pick doesn't come off the board till 60. Uh, we think, you know, we're not going to have a chance to draft you. So, But I will tell you this. You won't end up in New, New England, but we'll talk to you soon. 
and we'll probably see you one day in New England. Kind of a wink, wink, hint, hint. Uh, whenever yeah. you you know get out of your first contract, we will definitely be a team that's interested in your services. So now a lot of teams do this kind of stuff, right? They vet all kinds of players that they know they might not have a chance to even draft. But that doesn't make New England any different. But just to have kind of the hindsight of you know knowing the guys you like and knowing the guys you don't. And Chris Sims that used to work for the New England Patriots, I listen to him talk all the time, and he talks about the you know the organization as a whole there in New England that you know he was just a, a film guy and a data collector basically when he was working there for New England just a guy who was there taking notes on other players around the league and there would be a list almost every single week of of guys that scouts need to look at and it's it's guys that may not even be free agents for a year or year and a half down the road and, and Bill just basically wants a player profile put together of these guys I want you to go take a, a look at 150 snaps of these guys their last 150 snaps go take a look at it we may trade for them or or, or you know sign them in a free agent deal a year from now go look see it track it get the information log it so uh, that's just kind of an, uh, an inside look at what they're doing there in New England there maybe it's just a little bit different than other teams I don't think other teams put near as much effort into you know replacing the number 53 guy on the 53-man roster. No one puts as much effort into, you know, making sure that guy's just as good as number 30 on your roster as Bill Belichick does. So that's kind of a, a look from my perspective there, sir. Yeah, that's a really that's a really cool take. And it speaks to the fact that, you know, anytime, anytime Belichick has ever been mic'd up in a game or anything like that, you know, you always see him I always, I've always seen him as kind of this really grumpy guy, but whenever you see him on the field, like he always makes it a point to go up to players and like really encourage guys who stood out. I was watching a, I was watching a video recently of um, Peyton Hillis. Uh, you remember Peyton Hillis, man? Boy, that guy was something else. Do he, I remember he, Peyton Hillis? Come on, I mean, man. we all, we NFL all remember Matt, Peyton Madden, Hillis. Matt, what was that? Madden That's what 2016. I'm um, I don't know. That that uh, it feels like it should have been a lot longer ago than that, like 2011 or something like that. But I don't remember. But uh, gosh, he he told this story about how they played the Patriots in a regular season game, 2012, and he man, my bad. 2012, yeah, that's that's right. Um, so yeah, he was talking about how they played the Patriots in a game, and he just ran all over these guys. I mean, they showed some highlights of the game, and he's just pounding. And Belichick had no answer for it. And he said that Belichick came up to him after the game and told him, like, that was the best, you know what, uh, running performance I've ever seen. And for him to say that, like that, like Peyton Hillis is talking about that 10, 11 years later. And I think that what you're saying is right on. Like a guy like Hunter Henry is going to remember when Bill Belichick came up to him and said, look, like, we know we're not going to be able to draft you. And I remember he said something very, very similar to Bradley Chubb. Yeah, he was. Uh, he actually ran the workout at NC State's pro oh, day yeah, last NC year. State, he ran the defensive line pro day. Yeah, I remember that. And loved yeah. Absolutely yeah, loved absolutely. Bradley Chubb. Yeah, and rightly so. And and he said, you know, we're not going to be high enough to draft you. But uh, but that's a that's an investment. That's an investment for the future. Just to say, look, like you remember that one time when I said. 
you know, we would have loved to have drafted you, but obviously they're never going to be picking high enough to draft a guy like that. They could try and trade up, but I mean, that's not his style typically. So I just, I find it fascinating the way that they, the way that they work things. And obviously not all of their reclamation projects have worked like you could you could point to a number of different guys that you know they've tried to trade for and it hasn't quite worked out or they didn't just immediately become superstar players by being inserted into the Patriots culture I think of you know guys like Dwayne Allen who boy that seemed like a no-brainer after his rookie season with the Colts and the things that he showed he was capable of doing but that didn't work out and it doesn't always work out but that's okay because more more often than not it feels like they are able to hit on guys that just come across any way they they bill belichick if i don't know how closely you follow baseball brooks but like bill belichick really reminds me of of like a baseball general manager to where he he really reads into trends and like okay did this guy at one point show that he was capable of doing this like like Josh Gordon in 2013, he leads the NFL in receiving yards. Well, he hasn't really done anything for like four years, but at one point in time, he showed that he could do this. And so if we get him into our system, he could do this. And it's just, it's very similar in baseball where guys are, are reading trends and they're like, okay, well, he's cold right now, but, but he was hot at this one point. And so if we could just, you know, bank on that, you know, that pendulum kind of swinging back this way, we might be striking while the iron's hot. And he and Belichick pays closer attention to that than I think, like you said, any other general manager, or any other decision maker in the league, because he cares so much about the 53rd guy. Like you, I, I love that. I love how you put that. The 53rd guy's got to be just as good as the 30th guy and whatnot. So yeah, it's uh man, it, it's, it's so good. And I just love to see, I love to see how they operate. I mean, you you hate as a fan of opposing teams, man. You hate to see it just continually work for them, but at the same time, you got to respect it and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, I mean, and he's constantly taking stabs everywhere. Like, I mean, uh, I think I'm looking at it right now. In the last five years, right, or excuse me, in the last ten drafts, so 2010 on up to 2019. He's taken five quarterbacks, right? And he's got mm. the best quarterback in the in the history of the NFL still on his roster, and he's still taking stabs at the next guy. Jared Stidham this past year, right? Everyone knows about that. Took Danny Etling last year in the seventh round in the 2018 draft. You go back to the 2016 draft, third-round pick Jacoby Brissett that he eventually traded for Philip Dorsett, right? They're out of Indianapolis. So, and then you go back to, where is it at right here? The 2014 draft, that's Garoppolo, so we're up to four. And then you go back to the 2010 or 11 draft, and Ryan Mallett, the quarterback out of Arkansas, is drafted there. And he also took a seventh-round pick in a guy named Zach Robinson. Do you even know a Zach Robinson, Sarah, out of Oklahoma yeah. State there in, in 2010? A seventh-round yeah. draft pick. So, that's six names in the last nine drafts, all while Tom Brady is still in the back end of his career there. Uh, Tom, you know, Bill Belichick taking constant stabs at trying to find his backup there in New England. Yeah. So even at the quarterback yeah. position, this is a guy who, uh, you know, is taking valuable drafts, uh, you know, assets and, and spending them on a position that he may not necessarily need just for – insurance purposes and you know these are guys who you know Bill Belichick was fascinated 
with uh, Vince Lombardi growing up, and, and that was kind of his first guy he studied. And then, you know, after that, it was his dad. His dad, he was sitting in film rooms, according to this book. When he turned, you know, 9 or 10 years old, his dad started taking him on his scouting visits because Steve Belichick, Sarah, was the first original NFL scout. He would, this was back in the day when you didn't have necessarily film. So if Navy was playing Army this week, last week, Steve Belichick was at Army's football game, watching them in person up in the box. So um, this is the kind of mind and, and football heritage that's built into that culture there and into that family. So they just do it a little bit different and work a little bit harder than everybody else. So that's kind of their their past um, you know, history there for that, that family and that you know franchise now for that matter. So let's move on to a little bit other uh, news here. You told me Rashawn Gary was carted off tonight uh, during the pre-show while we were talking before the mics turned on. Uh, Do you know potentially what that injury was, Sarah, and what's going on with the first-round draft pick there in Green Bay? Yeah, it sounded like he was carted off and kind of like stabilized or immobilized or whatever whatever they call that. Um, And Ian Rappaport tweeted out just a message from his agency with Rashawn Gary Sport, RG Sports, that Rashawn A. Gary is fine and doing well. Thank you to everyone for their prayers and concern. So I don't know how serious it is. I mean, fine, fine is relative, you know, to the fact that he was carted off a field or, or whatever. So I don't know the nature of the injury. I do know that uh, another injury update just popped in. That's a no offense to Rashawn Gary. I hopefully I hope he's okay. Uh, This is a little bit more juicy to me. Cam Newton in a walking boot after the Panthers preseason game. Uh, I don't know what they're even thinking, putting that guy out on the field with he's been dealing with the shoulder all offseason, right? And so now you got the guy in a walking boot, and boy, what a terrible decision by Ron Rivera to put him out there. I mean, has this guy not played enough football in his career that you can sit him out of the preseason entirely? Yeah, I mean, for for such a big body, I think we're tr- we're finally seeing the lo- the level of attrition that Cam Newton's taken over his, you know, eight- or nine-year career so far in the NFL, right? That's a, He was a 2011 guy, right? 2011 yep. draft, Sarah? Yep, so, 2011. Yeah, you're looking at going into his ninth season here in the NFL and, and doing it at a, at a rate where he's getting hit more than any other quarterback in the NFL because he runs more than any, you know, and design runs too. Not where, you know, Russell Wilson or some of these guys who are a little more mobile – uh, at the quarterback position or getting outside the pocket and, you know, maybe scrambling a little bit. But that's not what Cam Newton does there in uh, Carolina. All, mo- majority of his runs are indeed designed runs where he's actually the intended ball carrier, not just ad-libbing on football plays. So design runs cause for more hits, obviously. And I think we're finally seeing, and we already have in the last couple of seasons, the attrition level uh, of, of all those hits that he's taken there in Carolina. So you definitely don't like to see that, man. I I really, really hate to see it. I spent all day, not all day, but I spent about 11 minutes yesterday on YouTube uh, watching Cam Newton's offseason, you know, meetings and and drills that he did with his receiving crew. He does this cool thing every year prior to OTA starting. He uh, takes his receivers and all of his skilled guys, all of his running backs 
out into San Diego, California, and goes through a little hell, like what he calls a hell week, where he goes three days and puts the guys through, uh, you know, three days over those three days and, uh, you know, tries to build chemistry and just takes a leadership role uh, trying to develop chemistry and develop, uh, you know, relationships with all of his guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Cam Newton fan, man. I can't say enough good things about him, and I just hate to see the guy injured because there's not, not very few – there's very few football players that I enjoy watching on Sundays more than Cam Newton because I can tell you this, man. No one enjoys themselves and has more fun on a football field than Cam Newton, and uh, it's something that I just enjoy watching, Sarah. So I hate to hear that about his injury there with his foot, but hopefully – it's a minor thing there in Carolina, my man. Um, you know, yeah. while we're on the topic of discuss, or, you know, of injuries and, and guys getting hurt and maybe getting carted off the field, Sarah, who's who, who are some rookies that teams that drafted them and spit capital on their uh, draft this year can't afford? Who are some rookies that their teams absolutely cannot afford to have you know miss or you know be injured this season, my man? Man, that's a that's a great question, and I think, boy, I think we've touched on a few of them in in recent shows. I think last week or on Monday, you mentioned a guy, Garrett Bradbury, who is absolutely a game changer for the Minnesota Vikings. That that offensive line last year was pitiful, and no offense to Pat Elfline, but my goodness, I mean, the difference between him and, and Garrett Bradbury has been absolutely staggering. And 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 so I think the Vikings, they're kind of in an interesting position because Mike, I think it was Mike Zimmer even made a joke or somebody on their coaching staff made a joke before the draft that, you know, they were asked, like, who are you going to draft this year? And he's like, I don't know, probably some backup cornerback who's only going to play special teams because that's what the Vikings have been doing. I mean, if you pay attention, it's it's kind of true. It's it's kind of sad, but true. And so they finally get a guy in Garrett Bradbury who's not only is he going to snap the ball for him, but he's going to pee all over Kirk Cousins' hands. So I think that's pretty funny, and uh, I think he's just a, a, an interesting guy. But, boy, is he irreplaceable for them. I mean, look at look at the difference it makes for other teams in the league who have a stellar center like the Cowboys and Travis Frederick. And uh, I just – I mean, it's it's a big, big deal. And so they, the Vikings, they cannot afford to lose your boy Garrett Bradbury. Yeah, that's a, a major key there for that offense. And, and finally keeping Kirk Cousins upright, right? I mean, you know, last season I think he was hit second most in the league behind Deshaun Watson in terms of quarterback pressures and quarterback hits. So uh, an offensive line that definitely needs some revamp, uh, revamping, and, and there's no place better to do that than starting at the center position. And, and, you know, I know they spent some capital, like you said, they're on Pat F line coming out of Ohio State, but – Maybe Pat Eflon can get back on track at the guard position. I think it takes a lot off of him, uh, a lot of decision-making off of him. He can just go out there and play. So hopefully he has a resurgence there, um, Sarah. But a guy that I immediately go to when I think of a rookie who their team can't afford to lose, it has to be the Arizona Cardinals. The easy pick is Kyler Murray, right? That offense is completely mm-hmm. tailored to fit him there. I mean, the coach – went to Arizona with hopes and intentions of drafting Kyle Murray one overall. So that whole offense is built around him and schemed for him. But the other guy uh, that I have to pick here is Devin Bush, the linebacker there at Pittsburgh. I think that is going to be a major addition 
for that defense there in Pittsburgh this year. And uh, a guy there that if they lose him, man, uh, the depth the depth at linebacker for the Steelers is not so great at this very moment. So Devin Bush, a guy that absolutely has to stay healthy for his football team this season, sir. Yeah, you're 100% right about that. And kind of along the similar vein, you know, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers really need Devin White to show up this year in a big way. They lose Quan Alexander to the San Francisco 49ers and 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 so Devin White is another guy. Devin Bush, Devin White, the two first-round linebackers. The the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is, you know, it's it's an interesting crew cuz on paper you kind of maybe can talk yourself into, well, you know, if this works out and if this works out and if this works out, but if Devin White's not out there, everything changes. So uh, he's got to be another one of those guys for me too. All right, those are some uh, impact rookies that are absolutely going to have to stay on the field for their football teams this season, man. Sarah, I know we were talking about this pre-show, and, and we don't do a lot of talking about veterans in the NFL and, and older guys that you know are outside of their most recent draft classes, but. A guy, we uh, it's something we need, we like to we would like to bring some attention to, uh, and it's not to call the guy out or anything like that because he is struggling with his own things in his career. Is Jordan Reed the tight end there for the Washington Redskins? Man, uh, we just found out today, or you know, he got lit up by Keanu Neal of the Atlanta Falcons in today's preseason game. And Sarah, man, we looked at the NFL uh, history of the the injury reports. And we found out in pre-show together, we counted them up. Jordan Reed has had seven concussions now in the last nine seasons. In his nine seasons in the NFL, seven concussions. Man, I, I've played with a couple of guys that have had, you know, four or five, you know, in their college career. And it's something you really start to worry about what they're going to look like down the road mentally uh, and physically. And for, for a guy like Jordan Reed, at this point, man, you've really got to be concerned about the quality of life that the young man's going to live outside of football. At this point, is it something – are we dealing with the Wes Welker situation, Sarah? I know we compared it to that earlier. Uh, the reports were Wes Welker had anywhere from six to ten documented concussions while he was in the NFL. So there's no telling what the true number is. And, and the same thing with Jordan Reed. The true number that we have documented with the uh, the injury report – uh, is seven, but that doesn't mean he hasn't had, you know, nine or ten that, uh, you know, that he didn't tell anybody or maybe he thought it was just a stinger. Uh, is this something, man, that you would be concerned about? I know if this was your kid, he would have long since been done playing. But uh, <laughs> right. how do you tell a guy that, that maybe he needs to give it up? Uh, and what's your opinion here on Jordan Reed uh, and your thoughts, my man? Gosh, it's just, it's just scary. I mean, if you've only if you've already had six documented concussions and now this could be a seventh, I mean you know he you know he's got more dating back to probably his college days and his high school days as well, and then however many you know he thought maybe was just uh you know whatever he may have just brushed it off quickly it could have been you know there's no such thing as a minor concussion but I mean in comparison to some others I mean there are some that can be worse than others I suppose and so. Gosh, you just worry for the guy's long-term well-being. And there's such a big, big deal being made right now about how the NFL has dealt with players post-playing career and how they've dealt with guys in CTE and stuff like that. And so, like, it's it's almost just like you want to warn a guy beforehand, like, dude, this is your 
This is your seventh concussion in the NFL, and obviously you want to play. Obviously you're still talented enough to play, but it almost seems like it's just, it's recurring at way too quick of a rate. And that was the deal with Wes Welker. I remember when he was in Denver, like that was the biggest concern was like, okay, I mean, we want this guy to play. We've got Peyton Manning on a really small window right now, and Welker makes such a big def- difference to the offense but is it worth the guy's long-term health to go out there? And then they put him in this astronaut's helmet and, and tried to... I mean, it looked ridiculous. It's not. It's nothing to laugh about, but the helmet looked ridiculous. And, uh, and it didn't really... I don't know how much of a difference it really made. Because I believe Welker suffered another concussion after getting that gigantic helmet. And uh, and so it's just you wonder if NFL teams shouldn't just blacklist these guys or something and just say, look, like we're not going to be held responsible for whatever happens here because this is a bad, bad deal. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, these guys know what they're getting themselves into at, at, up to a, a point. But, uh, you know, sportsinjurypredictor.com does a really good job of kind of listing the, the track record of all the injuries on file. Do you know what the chance of injury for 2019 is for Jordan Reed? And I know it's already popped off and and come true, but I'll go ahead and give it to you. According to sportsinjurypredictor.com, Jordan Reed had a 73% chance of being injured this year in 2019. And, man, it's just littered. I read it all off to you in uh, pre-show today. We're talking concussions. We're talking hamstring pulls. We're talking MCL strains. We're talking another concussion. We're talking quad pulls. We're talking AC joint separations. You know, if, if I were Jordan Reed, and it's really easy for me to say, uh, you know, sitting here, uh, you know, turn, go turn down the multi-million dollars, Jordan. Stop playing the game that you love. Give up your career, uh, something you've dreamed for for years. Go give it up. It's really easy to say that, but when you just look back at it, man, is it really worth the, you know, like I said, the long-term life and the, the long-term repercussions of the sport that you love so much. And, and, and it is, man. Your head's nothing to play with. I, I think we're, we're a couple of concussions away from, you know, his brain looking like some soup, man. I, I'm genuinely concerned here uh, at this point, just like the league was for Wes Welker. I think, you know, and I know we talked about it in pre-show, Sarah, that it, it was very evident that Wes Welker was, you know, if you will, being blackballed from the league. I know multiple multiple of his teammates were very, very outspoken about the fact that he shouldn't enter the league again, that being Wes Welker, because of the head issues. And I know we talked about it. Anytime you got to show up in that Martian's helmet that he was wearing with, uh, you know, four inches of padding, looking like you just tried to stuff an extra pillow inside your helmet before you <laughs> put it on, man, at that point it's probably just not worth playing football. And I, I know it. And, again, we're talking about – walking away from, you know, life-altering amounts of money. But, Jesus, man, we're talking life-altering, you know, physical issues when it comes to your head and your brain. So uh, that's our little spill on Jordan Reed, Sarah. I have another spill saved up for Todd Gurley uh, and just kind of the, the, the news surrounding him this year. Are you ready for this, Sarah? Dude, I'm ready. Hit me with this. I Dude, I know I texted you today. I, I think the absolute future of, you know, future running back salaries are all dependent and lying upon the shoulders 
of one Todd Gurley out there with the Los Angeles Rams. Look, you've got guys like Ezekiel Elliott trying to, you know, get out of their contract two years early in order to sign their second contract. Guys like Melvin Gordon, who are going to pull a Le'Veon Bell this year. Guys like Le'Veon Bell, who've set out a full season in order to get their money. And I think the reason it all relies upon Todd Gurley and what he's going to do here this season and in the next couple is, you know, every he is the highest paid running back right now in the National Football League with his new contract they gave him. That four years, $57 million contract extension that puts him just over $14.3 million per year over the next four years. And the reason I say he's got the future of the running back position uh, you know, on his shoulders is I constantly hear that, uh, you know, when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott, he wants to be the new highest paid running back in the NFL. And the very first thing you think of, and I'm sure the, the very first thing that's in the back of Jerry Jones's mind right now is, look, man, the, the Los Angeles Rams just went through this last season. They had a, a tailback who they set through all the preseason who wasn't going to, you know, was threatening holdouts and whatnot. They gave him the contract extension, right? They made the guy happy. They did what every fan base wants their owner to do, go spend the money. Look, your, your franchise is worth $5 billion. The least you can do is stop fighting over hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe a couple million uh, in nickels and dimes in a contract dispute. That's the last thing a fan wants. They want you there in Dallas to go pay the Ezekiel Eds of the world. But the very first thing they say nowadays is, well, look what happened with Todd Gurley. Look at that contract they gave him. And now all of a sudden he's facing arthritis issues. They had to go draft his essentially, you know, his backup and his replacement in Daryl Anderson this year out of Memphis. Spent a third-round pick on him just after signing that extension there with Todd Gurley. So right now, the the running back market looks a little dim because of Todd Gurley. Now, if Todd Gurley were to come out this year and go for 1,600 yards on the ground or 1,600 all-purpose yards and 25 touchdowns, similar to what he did last year, if he carries everyone to their fantasy playoffs and all that kind of stuff and helps the Los Angeles Rams maybe repeat as NFC champions, then we're looking at a totally different scenario, and guys like Jerry Jones won't be hesitant to give these guys like Ezekiel Elliott their money. So that's kind of my spill there, Share. I think it's very, very important uh, for the running back position, for the future of the running back position under this current collective bargaining agreement. Before they you know, figure that out and figure out rookie wage scales for the tailbacks in particular, all of the future you know, contract values of tailbacks relies upon Todd Gurley to defy the haters uh, over the next couple of seasons and fight through that arthritic pain there in his left knee, I believe it is. So uh, that's kind of my spill there, man. Todd Gurley, super important for the likes of Ezekiel Elliott and guys like Melvin Gordon going into the future. And for that matter, even a guy like Christian McCaffrey, that guy's going to need a new contract very, very soon there in Carolina, especially with his snap uh, share there for that offense. What do you think about that, sir? Gosh, you know what's crazy about Todd Gurley's contract is the new deal hasn't even take hasn't even oh, taken hold hasn't even yet. In. So that doesn't even happen till next year. And and the Rams, man, that's a 
boy, that's really something else. Because um, I I remembered thinking about that at see, the time that he signed. See what it, I but... mean? It's all it's all on his shoulders, man. Because guys like you, it's really something else. They're gonna give that guy fourteen million dollars four years from now. Uh, yeah, they they are, and they're stuck with it, and that's what sucks. Because now I don't, I really don't see a running back getting a, a contract an early extension like this anymore. Sarah, do you? No, absolutely not. Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know, because what are the Dallas Cowboys going to do about Ezekiel Elliott, man? I mean, he was, what was he drafted in, 2016 or 17? I can't even remember now. 16, but, uh, he's Joey got Bosa and all that, that class. So he's at 16, 17, 18, 19. So he's got two years left on his deal, including this year. So he's in a very similar boat. And... Uh, Boy, that's that is crazy to think he's trying to do the same thing. And the and the the difference is here, the Cowboys have to pay Dak Prescott at the same time, and the the L.A. Rams pushed Jared Goff's contract extension down the line a little bit, and so they at the time that they signed Todd Gurley, uh, he he signed for let's see. He signed for four years on top of his rookie deal, so they they put a year between his extension and Jared Goff's uh, extension talks. So, I mean, it's it's different when you're dealing with a rookie contract at the QB position that you can kind of bank on for the next few years. And by comparison, look, Le'Veon Bell's playing on a team with an established big money quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, Melvin Ingram playing on a and a, a team with an established big money QB in Philip Rivers or Marvin Ingram or what Melvin Gordon, I'm saying Melvin Ingram, Melvin. thinking about the passers. Yeah, Melvin Gordon. So, they're playing on teams that have guys with high-paid QBs and and so they can't like it's not like the front office can just say, "All right, well, here you go. I mean, I know we got to pay Aaron Donald as well. I know we got to pay Joey Bosa as well. I know we got to pay Derwin James someday as well. But I mean, here you go. Here's 14 million a year for your four yards per carry. I mean, think about that. That's what that's what Melvin Gordon has been doing up until last year. Three years of his four in the NFL, he's averaged under four per carry. And so, like, if I'm the Chargers, I'm like, all right, sit out, save us the cash because I we don't. I mean. We'll figure it out, you know, but then there's special players like Ezekiel Elliott who, and and he comes with a whole nother set of baggage off the field too, but man, this is, you're right. I mean, Todd Gurley, it's all on his shoulders. He's only 25 years old and he's already been in the NFL for four years and he's still got, I mean, it looks like he's got a hundred years left on his contract, but he's got this year and then, and then four years on top of that. So it's going to be really tough. The, the The Rams are stuck with them, no matter what. I mean, there's 25 million in dead cap after this year, so they've got a long road ahead of them with him, and they've got to be patient with him. And so, what? Maybe they maybe they do sit him out for a while and just play the long game. But they're they're tied in, and it it wouldn't surprise me to see other teams really uh, lower that value, especially. With the the lockout coming up, man. I mean, if if there's a lockout in 2021, like these NFL teams aren't trying to pay a running back 14 million dollars or have that on their cap. You know, I mean, I'm just saying, like if that's if that's your approach going forward, like you just don't know what's going to happen there. And so, I don't blame the running backs, but I also don't blame the teams for not giving them that cash. Yeah, I just. 
I think it's something that they're going to have to address in the collective bargaining agreement for positions like tailback and like running back where the career – or excuse me, like tailback and like linebacker where, you know, just the, the lifespan of their career there in the NFL is so short that these guys need the ability to get their money and get it front-loaded, man. I mean, maybe increase the rookie wage scale a little bit for running backs just a tad um, in hopes that – you know, the, the second contract, most of those guys don't get to that, man. You're you're tied up in your rookie deal for at least four years, correct? And if that's the case, if you're a first-round draft pick, they've even got you for five if they genuinely want to. So at that point, man, your 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 rookie wage scale is slotted for basically your what is expect is is expected to be your lifespan as an NFL athlete at the tailback position there um so it's something they're going to need to address in the cba and i definitely believe they will so sarah man you hate to see it what do you got for me tonight my guy well gosh if you look up uh if you look up cam newton on twitter you can see his his mother goose outfit from before tonight's game but uh i i tweeted that out i tweeted that joke and i tweeted the screenshot of the photo but the panthers tweeted it out Cam Newton's style gets crazier every day, but I really hate to see Demarius Thomas wearing a New England Patriots jersey. I mean, this was a guy drafted in 2010 by the Denver Broncos. Team legend. He's going to be in the ring of fame for the Denver Broncos. And uh, won a Super Bowl with the team. Was once upon a time the franchise player. Yada, yada, yada. And all throughout his time in Denver, their biggest rival was nobody in the AFC West because nobody in the AFC West was touching the Broncos from like 2011 through 2015. And those were the, the best years of DT's career. And so the Patriots were their biggest rivals at that time. So to see him wearing the number 88 for New England, catching passes from Tom Brady, man, that is it, it it nearly brings a tear to my eye it's it's a sad sad time congrats to him on on being employed in the nfl but man i really hate to see dt wearing new england patriots jersey and playing for that team jesus man i i was doing a little you hate to see it research while i was leading into your you hate to see it because in typical fashion i forgot to run down to you hate to see it um because we never talk about it in our pre-show stuff. We just assume it's going to be at the end. But holy cow, have you seen this Tyrone Crawford story, sir? No. All right, Tyrone Crawford, the uh, Dallas Cowboys team captain, man, was involved in a bar. I'm talking about, when I say bar brawl, I'm talking about an absolute slobber knocker uh, in Panama City, Florida, which, first of all, NFL football players – if you have the money of an NFL football player, don't be in Panama City Beach, Florida, because uh, you just don't you don't belong down there, man. Take your happy butt to Miami. Take your happy butt somewhere that isn't Panama City, Florida, uh, because you just you don't need to be down there, man. There's nothing but trouble. But no, it took multiple police officers to subdue him. Uh, it took a couple swings at a couple security guards. And, man, in fact, he's absolutely not apologizing for it, saying, um, let's see here, I can't speak on it too much, but I'm going to let God take it and handle everything. However it works out, it works out. Hopefully they see my side. So it wasn't a sorry for the the issues or anything like that. It was, you know, man, it happened, but, uh, you know, 
everything's over. The situation's out of my hands, uh, and I handled it to the best of my abilities is what he told reporters. So how about that? You need to go take a look at it, folks. Tyrone wow. Crawford up in a bar brawl in Panama City, Florida. And it's, it's very clear who the NFL football player is, as it typically is against, you know, around normal civilians, the, the six-foot-five <laughs> offensive lineman just looks a little different uh, in those types of scenarios, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking while you were saying that, if if you have an NFL player's money, like, get yourself a basketball court. Like, build a basketball court at your house and, and just go out there whenever you need a blow-off scene. That's what I would do. I mean, I know I'm, a, I'm an introverted guy, but I would do something cool like that, like have my own basketball court or have my own pool, indoor pool or something – just something. I mean, do some do normal stuff, man. Like, don't go out and get into fights. Like, do something normal. Jeez. Sarah, have you ever been to Panama City Beach? I have not. I have not had the pleasure. It is an absolute cesspool. Don't ever, ever attend Panama City Beach. Fun fact, and we'll send you out with this: uh, Dak Prescott was actually jumped by four football players from Louisiana. Uh, I think it was Louisiana Tech back in his college days when he was playing for Mississippi State. So I was actually there that weekend. Another video you need to go check out. Go check out Dak Prescott getting jumped in Panama City outside. Uh, I think it was whatever. I forgot the main uh, bar down there or whatever, the club. But, yeah, basically broad daylight getting jumped in a parking lot by a bunch of people. Uh, Dak Prescott, not a great look coming out of college there at Mississippi State. But, yeah, football players, if you've got any notoriety, matter of fact, all children, uh, underage or, you know, all adults, pretty much just stay away from Panama City Beach, Florida. Nothing good happens there. But you hate to see it, man. Offensive linemen getting, you know, scuffling it up, getting in a little brouhaha with the normal civilians of this world. Not the greatest uh, look for the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys, but uh, mm-hmm. you hate to see us here. Send the folks out, buddy. Yeah, I want to thank all our listeners from Panama City, Florida, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate all of you. We love you guys and gals. Uh, but no, seriously, thank you all for listening. We love to talk football. Obviously, we've been sitting here. We had no show notes, and we managed, uh, you know, an hour-long episode, so that's always good. And we know that you stuck it out to the end, and you're here right now. So I want to say to you who's listening right now, thank you for listening. Thanks for checking it out. If you guys would, if you gals would, please rate, review, subscribe, give us feedback. Uh, We just love being able to give you the best product possible. So let us know what you thought of tonight's podcast. Let us know what you think of previous podcasts. And uh, we're just looking forward to the season, man. It's almost the preseason. We're one week away from the last preseason game being played. And so we're getting close right here. We're getting close to some actual football. Yeah, I think, Sarah, what we need to do uh, for for these guys that do hang around for the end of this show, man, we need to figure out a way, whether it be... Uh, you know, a special T-shirt giveaway or something. One of these days, man, on these closing statements, we need to put out, uh, you know, some type of gift for someone that is still listening to our dumb selves talk and, and, and give hot <laughs> takes here and feed hot gases into our living rooms while we give these takes in separate uh, locations. But, nah, man, appreciate you for joining me as always, Sarah. Appreciate everyone else for listening 
to us here on the NFL Mox Podcast. We will see you next week. We got our two shows in this week, so don't call and ask for no more. But, no, hit those five-star ratings. Hit those five-star reviews. We appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.